Man City lose here whilst they're not competing. Did get yellow carded very early on in the match for being a bit too eager coming out of her goal and taking out, I think it was Leah Carlton. But, uh... <laughs> Subscribe to the OTB Koyig pod on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Did I say Graham Hunter is with us? Graham, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Yeah, Grant, thanks very much. Yeah. The, um, let's start with Real Madrid and uh, the way they handled their business. We've just done 15 minutes with Mark Wilson, the, the former Celtic footballer, and he was like uh, on the phone in show and um, Radio Clyde last night. The Celtic fans were all pretty happy with the quality of their performance. I can completely understand why. I'd say Real Madrid are even happier with the fact that. They watched Celtic be a dervish for 50 minutes and then were like, oh, game over. Yeah, look, I, I, yeah, it, it, I suppose for brevity, you have to say it like that. I think it was more complicated and I, and I think it's a really healthy test for Madrid in, in several ways. I don't, I've watched them now for nearly 30 years in a professional sense, 20 years living in the country and it's it's quite rare that they face a team playing that way. So clearly, for Celtic fans in Scotland or in Ireland, where you are right now, the, the sense of measuring themselves up for an hour, um, the way in which Celtic were both intense but not foolish with the ball, the fact that they could could easily have gone 1-0 up, the idea that the, the world is now reverberating to, again, to the magnificence of that atmosphere. All these things are positive for Celtic, but there are very few teams um, make it as intense for Real Madrid, press them so daringly, harass them, and then play you know pretty good football when they get possession themselves. And for Madrid to be tested in that manner, I, I think is, is terrifically healthy, particularly without Benzema. Benzema's impact in the game when he was on the pitch was minor. And although it's not the case that they never win without Benzema, they've become reliant on him in situations like last night at Parkhead, where either his will to win or his his remarkable ability to invent clever movements or goals digs them out of a trench time and time again, not just last season, against Chelsea, against Manchester City. So for them to to win, I, I don't think it was like, hey, oh, the storm's gone with one now. I, I think that the, the quality of the goals that Real Madrid produced were really excellent. And apart from the way in which, like, for example, the contrast for me in the first half when there were, do you remember all those pictures? Um, Kathleen, you and I haven't spoken very much, but Jer, you and I have during the World Cup in 2010 or the Euros in 2012, where there were brilliant pictures of six or seven players surrounding Iniesta and trying to take the ball off him. Well, it didn't quite get to that proportion, but there was often two, three or four men encircling Vinicius in the first half from Celtic. And and yet there never seemed to be a gap anywhere else, which is arithmetically and geometrically impossible, but Celtic pulled it off. So, so to contrast that with, and I was writing on the match, and, and I suggested during that um, period, how will they continue to do this? So to see Duranovic on his own when Valverde squares the ball in an almost exact replica of the goal at San Denis that, that won the European Cup against Liverpool uh, last May, that suggested that it, it was impossible to be as 
fantastically intense in defending um, a Celtic manager in the first half. Other than that, the goals were really clever, including you know Valverde's flick to, to, to play the one-two and then get the cross in was also extremely good. So Madrid were forced to produce extremely intelligent, technically admirable goals in order to win. And what's more, I don't know what you two or your listeners thought when Hazard came on, but I managed to see a full training session for Real Madrid in Helsinki, which we don't get to do. We get the 15 minutes exposure to warm up and stretching and you know jokes about, you know, who was last in the train. But in Helsinki, we saw the full Buna and Hazard looked excellent. He looked sharp, quick to turn, playing a little one-twos, finishing well. And yet, it's until last night, he hadn't made any impact on the season. When he comes on last night in, in what was a frenzy, your immediate question is, well, why is that, for example, not Mariano? Um, were there other ways in which you could reinforce the midfield, say, let's bring on... Camavinga and put Vinicius at centre forward instead of Vinicius. No. Ancelotti goes for Hazard. Post-match, Ancelotti explained it, which is also a great benefit to us because he tells the truth and he, he opens up. So it was a perfect match for us because despite the, the pace of the game, perfect match for Hazard, excuse me, Chair, because the, t- the two Celtic centre-halves didn't come forward to press and therefore we knew that there'd be little bits of space for him and as soon as he caught the match tempo he'd be and of course he influenced very heavily the the second goal and I, I think that um, looking at things like that in the context of beyond the Champions League whereby in the first match of this season David Ancelotti begged his dad put on Alaba now and tell Alaba to tell Cross and Benzema they're not taking the free kick against Almeria Ancelotti Senior agreed on came Alaba. He told Cruz and Benzema to vacate the premises and leave pre kick to him. Immediate goal, first touch of the ball, 2-1 win um, against Espanyol uh, the week before last. He brings on um, Rodrigo as a sub who crosses for Benzema to make it 2-1 and effectively win the game. At the weekend, um, he made changes whereby Valverde comes on and immediately crosses for Rodrigo for the 2-1 goal to win the game. Last night, Hazard's brought on in a situation where a lot of people would have thought this game's too fast for him and he seriously influences it. So the, the Ancelotti legend, rather handsome, grows. Okay, that's interesting, because, uh, you know, in football, there's been many cases of nepotism just being the thing that gets the, the idiot's yeah. child a job multiple times, international caps, what have you? You're saying this one, this one's different. Are you mentioning the fact that my dad's worked for off the ball for for years? Now? Sixty years. The, <laughs> the idiot son comes in. <laughs> Look, David Ancelotti's reputation, um, I, I think, has thrived at Napoli, at Bayern Munich. Whether he was at Everton long enough for for people to have appreciated him properly there is something that I don't know enough about, but I do know about the way in which he was viewed when he began at Real Madrid the first time with Carlo Ancelotti and how he's developed himself first in his class in his UEFA B licence, first in his class in his UEFA A licence, somebody who has been able to become, in communicative terms, a bridge between dressing rooms and the coach, which isn't always the case with assistants, let alone the son of the manager, but the respect factor is very high because, like his father, he's intuitive about how to manage elite footballers, something he learned through experience from his dad and being around squads rather than from playing in elite football like Carlo did for Roma and AC Milan. 
and his analytical work in order to prepare defensive and offensive set plays has time and again convinced footballers at the clubs where he works. This guy knows his stuff. So his his surname, apart from those who continue to meet him for the first time maybe and they, they have to learn, his surname has become irrelevant for those who work with him because I wouldn't tout, I wouldn't try to say in his own right he's going to go on and be as successful a coach as his father because that's an unknown, that's an unmeasurable while he remains an assistant. But in his current role, it's round peg, round hole. Okay, fair enough. Um, the the point about Hazard, he, he did look like it was peak Hazard for the run for the build-up to the second goal uh, where there's like two tackles that are flying in around him and he just glides around them. Like, is he is he is he back fully and just in time for a World Cup? I think, Jerry, the, the the point to make for those who are cynical is that you know one swallow doesn't make a summer. Um, one of the things I'd pick up on too is that when Chomeni wins the the fifty fifty tackle in midfield again, winning fifty fifty tackles in midfield is not necessarily a staple of of Real Madrid. And one wondered without Casemiro how quickly they'd get on that bandwagon again. They did. Hazard's mental speed to see with the way the ball was going to break before he skipped off and, and set up Modric's goal, I think, again, was a guy who was, you know, focused, who was intense, whose his brain was working sharp, which, however good a player you are, if you haven't played um, first-class football for months and months and months, it, it can be rusted and eroded. So the things to say would be that although he arrived overweight and when he first signed, and that was his fault, He's twice got himself in extremely good condition, was playing against Paris Saint-Germain and influencing the game very much under Zidane when Meunier stamped on his his ankle. It was untouched by the referee, which was a shocker. He's then had a couple of operations on an ankle. And just when he was getting to peak last year, he needed a, a, a reopening of that wound and a resetting of the, the, the recuperative work done. And therefore, it's been hard for him to be. It's it's not been Eden Hazard's fault in recent seasons compared to how he began a little bit lackadaisically and turning up, having you know spent the summer on, on beer and crisps. So the fault hasn't been his. Ancelotti is somebody not proning, prone to giving us bull. He, he's got a remarkable record for answering questions, honestly, which football managers aren't always contracted to do. And he's been telling us for a while... I'm glad Hazard is staying. He wasn't for sale. I think he'll have an important role this season. His training has been excellent. And when Courtois spoke last night at Parkhead, he said um, Hazard's been training at a phenomenal level. He's ready to contribute. I don't think anybody's claiming that he'll be, you know, starting in 70%, 75% of the games this season. But it's a very long season. He's got his mind focused on the World Cup. I was interviewing Roberto Martinez two months ago now and he spoke at length about how he's been monitoring Hazard's mental state his training he's had very close communications with Real Madrid and Roberto Martinez was extremely excited about the role that Hazard in theory will be able to play injuries from now on permitting in Qatar so for those who enjoy watching him because he he can be magical we're not going to get vintage Hazard back because age and time have taken that away from him but somebody who can consistently turn games for club and country I think that's where he's at right now, yes. 
We were chatting a little bit earlier on about um, the the impact of Postacoglu and uh, that performance happening on the stage that had happened last night where the European Champions' first game is, is at Parkhead. So, you know, all of Europe is watching. You you travel Europe, you talk to football people. What's the perception of, of Postacoglu and how much longer does he need to do this before people start going, ooh, I really want him to be the leader of whatever project in whatever country that might be. How worried should Celtic fans be? Look, I think that ripple effect, ripple, you know, pebble in the pond effect that you're talking about, apart from the absolute consenty of football, uh, football directors, directors of football, is a better way to say it, sorry. I think that Postacoglu is still somebody whose um, ideas and reputation um, have yet to make a big, big splash in terms of the football media across continental Europe. But from last night, I think that will change. And you you want to watch because I can tell you that when I was recently with an executive at Manchester City and I was talking about where Pep Guardiola might go next, and I don't mean at the end of the season because I don't think anybody really knows what he'll choose to do. I was offering up a couple of ideas about where the next candidate might come from and this City executive interrupted me and said, Yo, don't forget Postacoglu. Not necessarily next man in the door, but he's been part of our organisation. We know his ideas and therefore gradually he'll be listed as somebody to be at minimum in consideration. So that's not me saying Ange Postacoglu is his next manager in after Pep Guardiola. Not at all. But you asked about how have his um, teachings, his personality, the brand of football Celtic is playing, how have they begun to make a name for him, send ripples across the pond. I think that will be to a degree augmented by last night because those who plan and those who look at um, succession don't stop at the result. They look at trends, they look at ideas, they look at consistency, they look at robustness, and they look at fit with what they've got already. So my opinion is that you're right to say that sooner rather than later, those clubs who like Ange Postacoglu's uh, personality, ideas, philosophy, the brand of football his, his, his um, players put into practice, some clubs who are sharp will think, well, we'd really like to get him before Manchester City are ready for him, um, whether that be next in after Pep or next one after that, whichever it may be. So I think that there'll be a market for him, um, at least in consideration when big clubs start to scratch their head. Maybe maybe not during this season, but it would surprise me if, if, there's, a, if there's a vacancy in a progressive, successful continental club, maybe even England next summer, and Ange Postacoglu's name doesn't get on the table for serious consideration. Right, that's that's uh, Celtic fans' worst nightmare. It's like, oh, we've discovered a genius, and then it's like the rest of the world discovers him too. And they're, you know, but here's the thing: if if City are already uh, thinking and talking about him, maybe a couple of years in the in the Premier in the Champions League with Celtic would actually be more beneficial to him to get the super gig as opposed to taking a mid-tier Premier League team with all of the the vagaries of the ownership that we know, like a, an Everton or a Villa or a Leicester or any of those teams, which hasn't always been a successful route for. Uh, former recent old firm managers. Can I ask you about the the, the Chelsea? I hear, I hear your I hear your pain, chair. I hear your pain. Can I ask about the Chelsea situation? Um, uh, people, yes. People talk about the the Tuchel um, 
the the epidemiology of the Tuchel meltdown that happens at some stage. And it, it generally, there's, there's been recoveries. He's, he's clearly an excellent, excellent coach and, and manager and really understands football at a very deep level. I'm just wondering about his emotional intelligence, maybe, to be able to knit together the squads that he has. Um, uh, I managed to catch the first 15 minutes of the game and uh, double screening with the, the Ireland game on at the same time they looked amazing for 15 minutes like uh, and then conceded one of the best breakaway goals you're going to see in world football with a beautiful finish and that was it it was game over it's like wow what a, what a souffle they are just poke it in the air yeah. pops out Listen, there's a big subject here and I'm not sure it's game over. Uh, Chelsea, I watched that game. Chelsea laid siege uh, to Zagreb's goal for the last 20 minutes, might easily have scored. It was as good a goal as you described. Um, But uh, using your own words, where does that pattern of looking sensational, looking like they should score or scoring and then falling apart ring bells for you? If you watch the defeat at Southampton, um, the the body language, the inability to wrestle their way back from an opponent landing a sucker punch, it was almost identical. The personnel were not identical. Um, Tuchel made, I think, some reasonably smart uh, changes and it's it's pretty impactful how Chilwell isn't suffering from some of the malaises that others around Tuchel are because he's been out for so long and he's been a high-impact player since he became fit again. The, the choice to drop Mondi and um, put Kepa on didn't backfire. But for my taste, um, Ziyech is, is a good example. And I think he's a microcosm of, of much that's wrong for Tuchel right now. Ziyech, um, along with Hudson-Odoi, before the Southampton game, before the market closed, was told he could go to Ajax and thought he was going to Ajax. Um, there, there was a little bit of... Uh, lightening of uh, untightening of the belt on Zayesh's part um, on the weekend part of the Southampton game over the next couple of days the his training perhaps wasn't elite and yet when the move broke down to Ajax he was straight in the team at Southampton um, didn't play well didn't play well last night wasted a lot of good possession and took free kicks repeatedly um, which were extremely poor now that's something that a manager can back a talented footballer over and again. And when he comes right, people like us will say, look how clever that manager was to, to, to keep faith in this creative footballer. But when you've got a footballer who was nearly out the door, who just um, lessened his intensity a little bit, to speak euphemistically, uh, and then played repeatedly in a, in a losing team, others around him, hard-nosed players around him will be a bit messed with the footballer, but much more so it'll be corrosive about their relationship with the coach. I think if you look at the the body language last night in Croatia was not so bad. The body language um, from the moment that um, Southampton went ahead just before the break um, in the game before the West Ham win, a West Ham win which really um, shouldn't have been the the goal uh, that uh, Frederick scores should have stood. They should really be honestly now defeat, draw defeat. And there's a little niggle for the American owners that Tuchel seems so determined not to give Pulisic um, sufficient faith and sufficient starts. I don't know what's wrong uh, between them. They worked together at Dortmund um, before Chelsea. And it should be a productive relationship, but at the moment it isn't. 
And that doesn't mean that because Pulisic and the owners share nationality, that it should be an automatic choice. That would be wrong. But it's getting up the nose of his employers that Pulisic is is not a go-to player for solutions in a time when the team is playing badly. So I think Tuchel has has some some difficulties ahead of him. And beyond simply results being better because he has a squad which is still strong and Aubameyang is in good nick, jaw and mask aside. It, beyond the results, there needs to be a better feel between Tuchel and his senior footballers and better performances, better displays, whereby the owners think, yeah, our faith in Tuchel uh, when so many others were cleared out of the club was correctly placed. Right now, in my humble opinion, they have doubts. Graham, with Tuchel, you know, he said last night that he didn't see the result coming, that he was in the wrong movie. And it's kind of hard to look at the results that Chelsea have had over the last while. I think it's like the longest run they've ever gone under him where they've conceded in every game. The first, uh, there was a stat last night that's a 100 game. The first 50 matches, he only conceded 24. Second 50, they've conceded 53. He almost seems to be putting a lot of that pressure on the players. But is it fair to say that he should be looking at himself, especially at the what you've said there? There always just seems to be an excuse with him as to why the team isn't performing when really they should, especially when you consider what they've done in the transfer window. Uh, Kathleen, that's a neat summary of what I've felt about Tuchel and what I've been trying to say about Tuchel whenever I've been asked on air since he joined. I do believe he's exceptional. I do believe that he's uh, modern, dynamic, He's got an extremely bright mind um, in various languages, an extraordinary lexicon. I think he's a very impressive man. I think and as Andreas' uh, flaw that runs through his career and, and through him is that, for example, when he's on the touchline and being histrionic and explosive, as we've seen throughout his career, not just in England, and which makes very good television, some of the things that I'm told are that substitutes on the bench are listening to him berating his players on the pitch and the terminology he uses and often fall to thinking, well, when I'm on the pitch, is that what he's saying about me too? And again, I use the word corrosive because I think that Tuchel's intensity, um, and, and you used the phrase, I think, emotional intelligence, is in t- it's, it's pretty unremitting take me or leave me, this is how I am. He doesn't have um, a lot of, what would you call a, a, a different face to put on or a different vocabulary to use when he's heated, when he's angry, when he's disappointed. But then again, I, you know, I need to be careful about our, our profession because after the Southampton game, it felt like he hung the players out to dry because he said, you know, we're too easy to beat. Well, that was a fact. And it was a hard assessment so the debate then is, do you say that in public so that the players feel hung out to dry? Do you say that in public because it will give the players a slap and it will, you know, kickstart them? There, you know, there are times when managers' behaviour and, and, and vocabulary, we judge very harshly because huge salaries aside, we're not under the same pressure and it needs to be understood that if we were, then very possibly we'd act in similar ways. But over the piece of his Chelsea career, I think that there has been... Um, a corrosive effect on on the players' absolute trust and liking for him, and when that gets that corrosive effect on the respect, because they they did and, and many still do absolutely respect his talent. When that begins to happen, you get defeats that 
<clears throat> you don't see coming. Or that seem inexplicable. Yeah, Graham, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.